0: Hey guys, before I start this episode, I need to make an announcement. In one month, at the end of May, I am leaving. This is normal. Every summer, I run away to go live in the woods for four or five months. In this particular situation, I will be a solid hour drive away from just cell signal, not to mention a reliable internet connection. So it's not realistic for me to make new podcast episodes this summer. But that doesn't mean the show is ending, it's just changing. Over the next month, I'll be working hard on creating a backlog of episodes and just scheduling them to release throughout the rest of the year. With that in mind, episodes after May are going to release every other week rather than every week, so there will continue to be more content, just less of it, and I won't be posting on social media to provide updates and extra goodies but I still want you to keep listening and learning about how our cultures revolve around trees. Having those connections is helpful in understanding why it's so important to protect our resources. One last thing, I want to answer what questions you may have. Maybe you want to hear more about a specific tree I've covered, or about my personal background, or my creative process when it comes to making this podcast. On May 18th, that's three weeks from this episode's release, I would like to do a Q&A in lieu of a normal episode so I can engage more with my listeners and talk about the first 25 episodes of this project. So please find me on Facebook or Twitter at my Favorite trees, or email me at treeguythomas at gmail.com and send me those questions. That's all I got. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of My Favorite Trees. My name is Thomas and I love trees. This Friday, April 30th, is the national observance of Arbor Day in the United States. You're likely aware of Arbor Day as the tree-focused stepsister that doesn't get quite as much attention as Earth Day, but you may not know exactly what its purpose is or the history of how it got started. So to help tell its story, I'm going to introduce you to a tree known as the Eastern Cottonwood. The Eastern Cottonwood is a large deciduous tree that grows between the Appalachian Mountains and the Great Plains of North America. There's a lot of love for this tree, from the native peoples, to pioneers, to modern day folks, but also some hate. Let's hear its story and learn about how we came to have a yearly celebration just for trees. I'll start off like I usually do with the question, What is this tree? What are cottonwoods? Cottonwoods are large, spreading trees native to the prairie and more open landscapes of North America. I've mentioned cottonwoods in multiple other episodes because we've talked extensively about its relatives. They belong to the populous genus alongside aspen trees, and they are part of the larger Salicaceae or willow family that I just went into great detail on last week. So with so many well-known cousins, how does this tree avoid living in their shadow? Well, for starters, it's physically known for casting its own wide shadow. Where cottonwoods grow in the open plains, there's rarely any other tree that compare in size. These trees can consistently reach heights over 75 feet or 22 meters, and in some cases over 100 feet or 30 meters. And they're characterized by a spreading canopy, often times their crown width can compare to the tree's own height. But if you're familiar with the landscape of the Great Plains and thinking about how it's the biggest tree around, you might wonder, well, what other trees around are there? And um, yeah, not many, admittedly. But that's why cottonwoods were so important to early pioneers crossing this landscape. In the wide open frontier, it's important to go wherever trees might be to find shelter and resources. Cottonwoods are excellent indicators that water is nearby, with it being so closely related to willows and aspens, it should be predictable that cottonwoods need to grow close to water, and if streams were found that didn't have forest cover, cottonwoods were planted there to start up that woodstock when these pioneers were establishing homesteads. Cottonwoods were a terrific tree to plant because, again, like the willow and aspen, these trees grow exceptionally fast. But there are a couple downsides to this. For one thing, the trees don't live for a very long time. We're talking only around a 100 years or so, which may still seem like a long time because that's above the human lifespan on average. Perhaps I'm a little bit jaded because I've talked about so many trees that live for several hundred if not thousands of years. But planting a tree is often seen as a gesture of giving to generations to come. And the cottonwood just doesn't really work for that theme quite as well. The other main downside to cottonwoods is that their wood is fairly weak. This means that they are more prone to damage in storms and can't really be used for a wider variety of products. So in the modern day, they are really just used for plywood or pulp to make paper. And they are not really recommended for planting in urban areas, despite the fact that they really commonly are, since they are cheap and fast growing. But on top of wood breakage and also shallow roots potentially damaging concrete, There's another reason they cause such ire where they are planted in cities. I'm talking about that thing that gives the cottonwood its very name. In mid-spring, these trees will put out dangly catkin flowers. And come to think of it, I don't know if I've talked about any other flower type as often as the catkin. But as those flowers get pollinated and spring shifts to summer, we see those catkins turn into chains of capsules. And when those capsules open, they release an absolutely absurd amount of cottony seeds that cover our cars and roads with white fluff, even if just one tree grows on that street. Personally, I think it's kind of neat. Very, very messy, though. I do recognize that. But where we see cotton, native tribes who lived in these plains long before white settlers see something else. The Caddo people that we refer to in the modern day as the Tejas lived across what is the modern state of Texas, and told a story about why the cottonwood releases all that fluff come spring. A long time ago, the world was ruled by the Great Spirit, who decreed that no bird should eat any other creature. They instead fed off plants, like many other animals still do today. And in this time, the owl was happily active in the daytime, like most other birds. One day, an owl was sitting on a cottonwood branch near a pond where he saw a beautiful swan. The owl loved the swan and wanted to be with her, but the owl couldn't swim and was afraid of water. So the owl stuck to tree and sky and called down to the swan asking her to marry him. The swan told the owl to come down to the water and they could talk about it. The owl, despite all his fear, flew down and tried to land in the water but he really couldn't swim, and so he splashed around, all scared, and ultimately had to fly back to his branch on a cottonwood, defeated. Also in the pond was the loon, who saw the way owl had floundered and scared all the fish, and they looked up and laughed at the owl in the tree, and called out, the oldest fools are the biggest fools. And this made the owl angry, and called out, who? Who? But at that moment, in the same tree as the owl, was a pair of wood pigeons who were madly in love. One asked the other, whom do you love? And their mite replied, you, you. But they said that just as the owl had asked who was calling him a fool. And when he heard the wood pigeons say, you, he snatched them up with his heavy talons and tore them apart with his sharp beak. Just below the cottonwood, the great spirit was having a nice stroll when they noticed fluffy feathers dropping from the cottonwood, and saw how the owl had killed another creature. For this injustice, the great spirit cursed the owl to be blinded by sunlight, and have to instead be awake only at night when all the other birds were safe in their nests. And to this day, the cottonwood remembers the wood pigeon who lost their mate by dropping those fluffy feathers down on any who walk by in the spring. Even without the numerous fluffy seeds, the cottonwood is iconic for multiple physical features. One of these are the leaves, almost perfectly triangular in shape with little triangle shaped teeth lining their edges. This shape is where we get the eastern cottonwood's scientific name, Populus deltoides. Deltoides comes from the Greek letter delta, whose uppercase shape is a triangle. One last notable detail lies in the twigs. This detail is much more minor and definitely harder to notice. But still very cool. With trees in general, the core of a twig is called the pith, and if you cut into the twig of a cottonwood, you'll find that the cross section of its pith is shaped like a star. The Dakota people in the northern plains actually have a story about how that came to be and why it's so hard to find. Once upon a time, there was a star living in the night sky who decided to come down and see what Earth was like. The star traveled to a village which they knew was a place where people lived and from that village came a wonderful noise, more enchanting than any noise the little star had ever heard. They didn't go in the village, they just stayed nearby and listened to the noise for quite some time. Eventually, though, they remembered that this is not where stars belong. Stars are supposed to be in the sky, so they sadly went back home. Back in the night sky, the star was having trouble reconnecting with their star buddies, All the other stars wanted to talk about was star things, like twinkling and shining and occasionally shooting across the sky. But our little star wanted to talk about people, and even suggested that they might want to go and try and live with the people. The other stars immediately shot this idea down. Stars can't live with people. People have their own busy lives to live, and if the little star lived with them, then the people would all get distracted by its beauty and stop doing what they're supposed to be doing. The little star knew this was true, but then they had an idea. They asked the other stars, what if they lived among the people in a place where the people wouldn't see them? And the other stars admitted that this was probably fine and told the little star, sure, go knock yourself out, you weird little people lover. So the little star flew back down to Earth and noticed that the people were always living near cottonwood trees. And they found a nice cottonwood tree to make their home in where the people wouldn't be distracted by them. And there they stayed, where they could listen to that wonderful noise, the simple sound of people living, people laughing, people loving. The Cottonwood is obviously a tree that has inspired people who have lived in the Great Plains for thousands of years, but it's just one of many trees that have inspired an entire holiday dedicated to growing our forests. Arbor Day in the United States is a federally recognized holiday that celebrates the planting of trees. The holiday falls on the last Friday of April every year, but each US state actually has their own observance day in order to account for the local climate. For example, Alaska has their own celebration a little later, on the third Monday of May, while Florida and Louisiana celebrate it way earlier on the third Friday in January. What makes Arbor Day different from other conservation-focused holidays like Earth Day? Arbor Day's celebration is specifically about planting trees and growing our forests. It's not about recycling or renewable energy, just planting trees and learning why reforestation is important. Whether or not you've actually participated in a tree planting, if you're in the United States, you've very likely known about this holiday for quite some time, but you may not know how this celebration came to be. First off, the United States is not the first country to celebrate a tree planting holiday. The first documented government holiday for planting trees dates back to 1594. This event was organized by the mayor of a village in northwestern Spain called Mondonedo. It was declared that the villagers go out and plant horse chestnut and lime trees. Not like the green citrus lime, lime tree is just another common name for linden or basswood. For some reason. Now, those of you who remember my pomegranate episode may be wondering about Tubishvat, the Jewish tree new year. Surely this holiday is older than 1594, and it is, but we're drawing a bit of an arbitrary distinction here. For the history of Arbor Days, we're just looking at government-organized secular celebrations whose prime focus is tree planting. Tubishvat is a holiday that is organized by a specific religion, not a governing body, and has a bunch of other religious rites and practices on top of tree planting. But to continue on with this history, the first modern Arbor Day was... still celebrated in Spain. Good for you, Spain. This happened in 1805 in the village of Villanueva de la Sierra. Again, this was basically just a public decree for the villagers to spend a day planting trees. These are just the written records that we have. There may be other countries or municipalities that had tree planting holidays, and we simply don't have a record for it. Regardless, there isn't any record of another Arbor Day until we see it happening in the United States later that century. The first U.S. Arbor Day took place in 1872, and can you guess what state it happened in? I'll give you a second to think about it. Yes, that's right, it was Nebraska, a very obvious answer. But if you think about it, it does make sense, and I kind of tease this by leading in with the eastern cottonwood and the prairie landscape that it grows in. Eastern United States is already heavily forested, and so when settlers arrived in the plains, they were really missing those trees back home. And so they wanted to make a holiday to plant more trees. The holiday itself was proposed by a man named Jay Sterling Morton. Morton had moved to Nebraska from Michigan in 1854 to make a frontiersman's living but hated how devoid the landscape was of forests. As his career progressed, he got himself on the State Board of Agriculture and moved to make it a holiday in 1872. And everyone was really into it. On that first Arbor Day in Nebraska, over a million trees were planted. This first holiday was just a one-off though. They called it a job well done and didn't think about celebrating it again until 1884. But then in 1885, they decided it would be a good thing to do every year, and made it an official annual state holiday. Morton spoke about how Arbor Day was special, that every other holiday celebrates or commemorates something that happened in the past. But the purpose of Arbor Day is to celebrate a better future that we can build together. Here's the thing, this guy, J. Sterling Morton, absolutely terrible person. Like, good for him for furthering tree planting, but Morton was big-time racist. And not like, oh, it was culturally normal to accept a racist society back then. I'm talking, during the Civil War, was that guy who was always trying to bring up how much of a mess Lincoln was making by trying to free slaves kind of racist. And I am not going to separate these two things and say, we should remember him for the trees and not for advocating owning human beings as property. I'm saying, we don't associate him with the holiday anymore. It's fine to tell history as it happened, but you gotta tell the whole history. And that's okay, because there is another valid person that we can more primarily associate with the spread of Arbor Day. Before the holiday was officially established, the idea of this celebration had started to spread around the country and was inspiring early environmentalists. One of these environmentalists was a Connecticut man named Birdsey Northrop. He wasn't a huge racist, as far as I could find. He was just a big old tree hugger. In 1883, Northrop traveled to Japan and gave public speeches about the concept of this holiday that was gaining traction in the Western world as a way to try and spread it globally. When he returned to the US, the American Forestry Association made him the chairman of a committee that was specifically created to spread the concept of Arbor Day to as many states as possible. By the 1920s, just about every state that was a state at the time had their own Arbor Day celebration because of his encouragement. And over the course of those decades, Bursey Northrop had also introduced the idea of Arbor Day to Canada, Australia, and multiple European countries. These countries already view Northrop as the father of Arbor Day, and I think we should too. What's interesting is that even though Arbor Day was celebrated across the United States, it didn't become a federally recognized holiday until the 1970s during the Nixon administration. He had just tacked it on to all the other pro-environment policies that he was making at the time but it's weird that we have yet another dude who was promoting healthy forests who was not really all that great of a person. It's almost like there used to be a time when no matter what controversial ideas you were into, we agreed that taking care of the environment was something we could all get down with. Huh. Even though we don't want to celebrate Morton with the achievement of Arbor Day, the state of Nebraska where it all started continued to have this weird fervor for forestry. Folks in the plains would look out into the open grassland, only occasionally seeing the odd cottonwood here and there, and think there should really be more trees. There is a specific region in northern Nebraska called the Sand Hills, which is characterized by these open, rolling plains. In my opinion, it's actually a really beautiful place on its own. I love unique landscapes like that. But there was a horticulture professor from the University of Nebraska named Charles Bessie who visited these sweeping plains and envisioned them covered in healthy woodlands. So way back in 1902, Bessie called up Teddy Roosevelt and said, Hey, I want you to establish a forest preserve on these fine Nebraska lands. And Teddy replied, But Chuck, there's no forest there. And Bessie said, Not yet there's not. And that was enough to convince the president, so he agreed and established the Dismal River and Neobrara River reserves that were later combined to become the Nebraska National Forest. Just imagine having that kind of pool, to be able to call up the president and have him create two forest preserves on treeless land. Incredible. This whole project started out as a nursery plantation, and it started with the planting of hundreds of acres of trees. This project wasn't very successful at first, pretty much that whole first planting failed because the soil was in fact not suited to sustain a forest. But as time went on and forestry technique and technology became more advanced, We grew a forest in northern Nebraska. It's not like a dense forest, but it's now a landscape covered in trees, where 120 years ago, there were zero trees. At the time, this was considered the largest man-made forest in the world. Now, it's still considered the largest man-made forest in the Western Hemisphere, as China has started their own incredibly ambitious tree planting project to curb the spread of desertification happening in their country. The state of Nebraska has an incredibly rich history of forestry, all because when white settlers arrived, they were not okay with its lack of forest. And we as humans realize that we need forests, mostly for practical purposes, but also because we love them and the trees that make up those forests. Trees like the eastern cottonwood, the state tree of Nebraska, and also Kansas, that tell us stories about the world we live in and the beautiful things that we can create when we all work together. 2021 is going to make Arbor Day a little bit different. We still should not be gathering or organizing events to plant trees, but we can take this time to learn about the science behind transplanting trees and make plans for engaging in Arbor Day activities next year. Or if you want to plant a tree in your backyard or other private setting, you can do that too. You can also celebrate Arbor Day by telling your friends about this podcast and learning about the ways that trees have influenced human cultures. Or you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts so people you don't know have a better chance of finding out about this, and they can learn too. Regardless of what you do, I'll have Arbor Day resources as well as pictures of Cottonwoods on my social medias and on my website, mftpodcast.com. Happy Arbor Day, everyone. I want to thank all of you for listening to this podcast. If you have the time, leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help us grow. The music is by Academy Garden. You can find more of their stuff on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud, Bandcamp. Wherever good music exists, they are there. My cover art is by Brittany Burnett. Find her incredible photography on Instagram at boomerang brit. Find me on Twitter and Facebook at My Favorite trees, and get updates on future episodes and extra goodies. If you'd like to take me back, you can do so by donating to your favorite sustainable organization, some of which are listed on my website, mftpodcast.com. Now, go find a tree that you love and give it a hug.